Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's January 17th, 1893, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. When you recall Bill Clinton apologising for things, you probably aren't thinking about military conquests. But in 1993, he did publicly apologise for the US overthrowing the Kingdom of Hawaii, an event which had happened 100 years prior, today in history in 1893, 66 years before the islands became a state of the USA. Yeah, and the coup was the work of the so-called Committee of Safety, a 13-man body of white elites, most of them American-born, several of them sugar planters and pineapple barons, and their end goal had always been the annexation of Hawaii by the US. And it all kicked off when an indigenous Hawaiian police officer who intercepted a wagon of weapons that were being brought to the committee was shot, and realising that they now needed to act fast before Royal Protection Forces could mobilise, the committee sent armed men to occupy a building opposite the palace and demand the abdication of Queen Leo Kalani. And so they arrive at the Queen's Palace and uh, they are joined by 162 US Marines and Navy sailors who uh, were ordered by John L. Stevens, who's the US Minister to Hawaii, to protect the committee. So basically you have the US government in cahoots with this local group, which has sort of emerged out of this, you know, um, background of not just the people who came to Hawaii to get involved in the sugar and pineapple trade, as you mentioned, Rebecca, but also this slightly older European history of sending missionaries to Hawaii, all as an effort to get a foothold in the islands themselves. Yeah, so let's talk about the Kingdom of Hawaii as it was historically up to Mm. this point. It was, and I think a lot of Americans these days are still not taught this, an independent nation with 99 diplomatic and council posts around the world. It was recognised with treaties, including with the United States of America. It had its own royal family, uncontroversially. And then two years before this date... Some armed men had stormed the palace with bayonets and forced the king, as it was then, he then later died, the king to sign a new constitution, which was actually then nicknamed the Bayonet Constitution. I mean, there was no mystery about how this had been achieved, which gave them de facto power and gave voting rights only to landowners, which sort of de facto excluded a lot of Asians, Polynesians, native Hawaiians, because they either weren't literate enough to meet the demands that were being asked or landowning enough. And what was clear was from the beginning, their approach to the royal family was sort of like, yeah, it'll be like Britain. Mm. You'll be like a constitutional monarchy, but we'll just do the hard stuff and you get to sit in your gold palace still Mm. and be the king. Don't worry about it. But then he died and Queen Lilikalani became Hawaii's first and last queen following that sudden death. And she started saying, well can we have some voting rights for the native Hawaiians, please? Can we have some powers back to me, please, because I am the monarchy? And that's when this group 
formed this so-called committee of safety. I mean, it's such mm. a hilarious... It's like Fox News calling themselves fair and balanced, isn't it? Right. I mean, it is a complete abuse of words. We are the committee of safety that are then going to storm the palace and oust the royal family. <laughs> yeah, well, she'd been very active in Hawaiian public life for a long time. So her brother, David, the king you're talking about, who was forced to sign the Bayonet Constitution, he was on the throne for 17 years. And during that time, she had been kind of the public face of Hawaii in a lot of ways. She had acted as a regent briefly when her brother went on a world tour in 1881. And she was actually in London representing Hawaii at Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee celebrations when she learned that her brother had been forced by this armed militia to approve the Bayonet Constitution. And she rushed home. And he didn't last much longer, actually. His health was already in decline. He had Bright's disease. Uh, he left for a trip to the US, again, leaving Lilio Kalani as regent. He suffered a stroke in Santa Barbara, of all places, and died. And as soon as she came to power, she decided it was going to be her mission to overturn the Bayonet Constitution as soon as possible. And to be completely fair, it wasn't just about restoring power to the native Hawaiians who'd been excluded. It was also about the fact that the Constitution had taken away so much power from the royal family. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this was the position that she had been raised for, and she didn't want to give it up. Yeah, and the US interest in Hawaii was, I suppose, partly, uh, you know, there, there were expansionist elements in the US at this time. But by the time the US had got serious about looking beyond its own borders to even think about conquering new lands, I guess much of the world had already been claimed by the other colonial powers that were out there. And there were only really a few distant territories in Africa and Asia, not that these were in any way up for grabs, obviously, but that a power like the US could convince itself were available for taking over. And a real turning point in US-Hawaiian relations happened in 1890 when the US Congress approved the what was called the McKinley Tax tariff, which raised import rates on foreign sugar, and Hawaiian sugar planters were now being undersold in the American market, and as a result, a depression swept through the islands, and the sugar growers, who were mostly white Americans, knew that if Hawaii were to be annexed by the United States, the tariff problem would just naturally disappear. So local American people who were working in Hawaii, it suddenly became in their interest for the US to get even further involved. But by the time of the coup, to officially annex Hawaii and make it part of America de facto, you needed the seal, of course, of the President of the United States. At this time, that was President Cleveland, who absolutely did not support this effort and did Mm. not want to recognise the new Hawaii as part of America. But as you were saying earlier, it's a bit of a fudge, isn't it? Because I, I think genuinely he didn't. I mean, he made passionate speeches about why Hawaii should be independent. But... A bit like our episode on Bob Dinar and his relationship with the French. There were obviously elements in America that wanted this coup to happen. It could have only happened with the unofficial cooperation of elements of the US government because there were 300 Marines from the USS Boston that were engaged to protect the committee when they went about the coup. Mm. So then Cleveland said, no, you're in this sort of strange hinterland where it's like, okay, so what is Hawaii then? (laughs) Should we just sit it out till we get another president who might be favourable to our aims? Yeah, I mean, John L. Stevens, the the US minister to Hawaii, had obviously been working hand in glove with the Committee of Public Safety because the committee's big thing was to fan up this idea that American citizens and their property in Hawaii were in danger. And 
And that was what justified US Marines landing on what was obviously independent international soil. And yeah, Grover Cleveland thought the whole thing was gross. Like he mm. didn't want anything to do with that, annexing Hawaii. He even investigated the feasibility of reinstating the monarchy. Mm. And the annexation actually wasn't done until 1898. And that was provoked by fears that Japan would otherwise add the islands to its empire. So it was a formally annexed to the US in a flag-lowering, flag-raising ceremony that was attended by almost none of the native population. Yeah, and specifically not by Queen Lilia Kalani, even though she was invited. And in between those two events, her being ousted and then the annexation, there was a coup, attempted coup, by Hawaiian royalists against the Republic, but it didn't succeed. She was arrested for her alleged role in that and convicted of treason. Um, but then because she was kind of like a favourite dignitary, I mean, it's a strange thing, isn't it, as often happens with ex-royals. She was then like, oh, but do you want to come to the ceremony where we change the flags around? And she was like, F- no. <laughs> <laughs> she, I mean, she's such a fascinating and impressive character among her many strengths as well as, you know, doing quite a good job of advocating for the people of Hawaii and sort of almost getting through to the decision makers in Washington that ultimately would have mattered. She was also a really brilliant composer and I never knew this but one of like that classic tune that you think of when you think of Hawaiian music the sort of that's her own work that's her composition and I'm not familiar a, with it Arian can I hear the second <laughs> it goes on very yeah. similarly <laughs> Aloha Oh the Hawaiian song everybody in the world knows it was literally one of the default program tunes in our school keyboards I mean, <laughs> that probably wasn't what she was envisioning when she wrote this beautiful tribute to her native land but still yeah, and she wrote it on a ukulele right that's cool yeah. it wasn't just like she started humming it like Lionel Bart she had great fluency with that national well, instrument. She could play a bunch of instruments as well, including, you know, the sort of stereotypical young Western lady of the Victorian era things. You know, she was accomplished on the piano. But that was, that was the strange thing is that her family and other families in the Hawaiian nobility really had one foot in both worlds. You know, at this point, much like the European nobility, the Hawaiian nobility liked to marry in. They were actually a pretty small group and most of them were converts to Christianity and they sent their children to Western-style schools. Actually, Actually, uh, Lilio Kalani and her siblings attended a school that was at one point literally called the Chief's Children's School, later wow. the Royal School, and it was exclusively for families who were, you know, in some way in line to the throne. Parents' Day must have been kind of awkward there, no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just stabbing each other, pushing each other down the stairs. Um, well, I was just thinking more if you're the teacher and you've got to deliver some bad news, you know? <laughs> Sorry, Your Highness, uh, but yeah. you failed yeah. today's exam. <laughs> Tomorrow. But modern scholars believe that what they saw is what's called Ignis Fatus. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, part of the ACAST Creator Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 